to Real Industry, Real Talk. My name is Tom, and this podcast series is intended to give you an overview of many different types of businesses from the real people who work in them. Today we are on episode one, and we have Duncan Morrison, a machinist from Canada, who's going to tell us a little bit about what a machinist is, why CNC is awesome, and the surprising demand in the field. So, uh, first of all, again, welcome to the show. Happy to have you. Thank you. Uh, and just before we, uh, we get going, if you can tell a little bit about yourself and what you do for a living, I think that would be great. Okay. Uh, my name is Duncan Morrison. I'm a machinist. I work at an uh, aircraft operator building uh, repair parts and uh, tooling for the, uh, for the technicians. Okay, cool. So uh, for those of us who doesn't know what a machinist actually does on a, on a day-to-day basis, can you tell a little bit about what a machinist is? Uh, so it, I, what I usually tell people is it, a machinist builds something that has to do with almost everything that you come in contact with, from uh, plastic injection molds to uh, car engines, uh, anything like that. But, but primarily a machinist takes uh, raw stock, usually metal, occasionally plastic or uh, fiberglass, something like that, and, and we do... Uh, 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 we remove material in a precise way to achieve uh, precise fits between parts. Okay, so generally speaking, you're, yeah. you're somewhat of a sculptor, if I understand correctly. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Okay. Is it mostly yeah, in metal? A way. Is it usually metal? It, it's primarily metal. Uh, as as the industry advances, and as uh, uh, plastics and uh, 3D printing and other additive manufacturing advances. We do more and more, uh, like I say, plastics and resins. And uh, uh, there's some applications for, for different kinds of foams, things like that. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, traditionally, it's been primarily metal. Okay, okay. Um, so if you could please tell us a little bit about how a regular data shop looks like. You said you've managed a few shops in the past. So if you can tell us a little bit about, about how, what types of people work in the shop, how many people, uh, how does it look, if you can just give a little bit of a background about it. But yeah, sure. Uh, machining is a, a very broad trade. There's, uh, there are a lot of customer bases that uh, wind up coming to machine shops. And uh, in general, uh, there will be a few machine shops that do the broad spectrum of work. Anything that shows up, they'll work on mostly you're going to get um uh specialty shops so for instance if if you need a uh a plastic injection mold made you you want to mold some uh you know big rubber tubs or something like that then you're going to go to a uh a mold making shop and they're going to walk you through that process i i do aerospace work um so that's a little different agricultural work again a little different um, but for the most part, uh, machine shop's going to be uh, environmentally, it's going to be fairly clean, uh, fairly organized. Uh, we're doing precise work. It, the average, it does vary a little bit, but the average is, say, within um, within a few thousands. So for reference, the, the average uh, piece of computer paper is about 4,000 thick. So, so we work... Uh, usually we're measuring to about a quarter the the uh, width of a piece of paper, um, give or take. So we, so we need uh, cleanliness. That's a, a big thing in machine shops. Um, 
the type of people that work there are usually um, I, it's usually primarily machinists. I, again, in broader manufacturing, uh, you know, if, if you're making cars or something like that, then you're going to have a few different trades working together. But usually, it's it's staffed primarily by machinists. A few uh, front end staff, receptionists. Occasionally, there's uh, an engineering department uh, that's attached to the machine shop. Okay, so what type of parts do you actually manufacture on a daily basis? I, so primarily what I do is I'll manufacture uh, airframe part, 60 to 70 years old, depending on when that particular aircraft is manufactured. Um, and, and so we're building uh, repair parts. Uh, the, the type of work they do with the aircraft is very hard on the aircrafts. There's a lot of uh, cracking and a lot of fatigue uh, on the airplanes. So we, we do a lot of uh, uh, custom engineered repair parts. So they'll find a crack in the wing, rivet it in, to the airframe or, or will replace a piece of the airframe. Okay. Uh, and then the rest of what I do is building uh, tools for the, the technicians, either the, uh, in, in my area, there's uh, three different kinds of aircraft technicians. There's uh, avionics, uh, uh, mechanical, which deals with uh, engines and such. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, structures, which is the actual airframe itself, the yeah. body of the, of the aircraft. So primarily I build tools for the mechanic and the uh, structures technicians. Oh, that's really, really cool. <laughs> it's really awesome to hear about the process from inside. Um, I'll tell you what, the main the main thing I want to focus on, um, well, no, I'm going to ask one more question and then we're going to go into the process. Um, as a machinist, do you did you do some sort of uh, official training? Did you go to, uh, to a trade school? How did you get started in the business? Yeah, I, so again, this is, uh, is going to change from place to place. Um, but I, I'm in Canada, uh, in Alberta, uh, and it actually varies throughout Canada. Um, but here we do a uh, four-year apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. um, and so what that generally looks like is you do 10 months of uh, on-the-job training. You're actually working at a shop, mm -hmm. um, running machines, and then you'll go do uh, roughly two months. It's eight weeks, but it works out to about two months of, uh, of tech school at, okay. at what would be a, a trade school. Uh, and then you do that through uh, four rotations, and then you get a, a journeyman ticket, mm -hmm. um, it's called. And then you also have the option of writing uh, a red seal exam, which in Canada gives you uh, journeyman status in all of the provinces and territories. It's, mm -hmm. it's uh, kind of like a broad interprovincial certification. Okay, so what does a journeyman status uh, give you that when you're an apprentice you can't do? Like what can you do as a journeyman that an apprentice can't do? What's the main difference? I, actually, in Alberta, there's nothing that you can do uh, as a journeyman that you cannot do uh, without any training at all. There are uh, a number of procedures set up to uh, go into a shop with no official certification, but say, you know, you grew up, your dad was a machinist and you grew up machining and you know everything about it. You didn't bother to go to school. You can go to a shop and demonstrate your skill and they can hire you. Uh, and say that you're certified in lieu of being a journeyman. Um, but primarily, uh, the idea behind having uh, the trade certification is that you can go into a shop and they can assume that you have a basic skill level. They, they sort of know what you've been trained on, uh, uh, what you've been exposed to in terms of, of uh, blueprint reading and, and uh, machining techniques and um, different types of machinery that you run, they, they, they have a rough idea of that, and it, and it standardizes it, which is helpful. Okay. 
Um, okay, so I think I got I got the, the main background of where you come from and how uh, what machining actually machining is that the proper word for it? Uh, yeah. Okay. What I would like to hear uh, about is how your process in the shops you work for um, goes from start to finish. So let's say an order came in. Uh, I know you said um, aerospace part. So let's say there's a certain part that needs to be um, machined, uh, and you get the order in to the shop. What happens from there on? Right. Uh, so for us, what usually happens is uh, a traveler comes through. A, a traveler would be like a package of documentation. Usually that has uh, a drawing, um, the, the work order number, any relevant uh, information that's come uh, from the customers or from the engineers, uh, specific instructions. Um, and then along the way, we'll attach um, material certification and we'll uh, be signing off that, you know, we, we made this in accordance with this drawing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and that's, and for what I do, I usually follow a job. So I'll, I will get a, a drawing or, or a set of drawings and I will build everything, uh, do a, a preliminary check on investing on my uh, dimensions, mm -hmm. uh, quality control is another, uh, check after I'm done. It's of course being in aerospace, there's, multiple layers of redundancy uh, that way. Redundancy or just safety checks? It, same thing, okay. basically. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I check something with um, tools that have been certified, and then somebody else will check it with a different set of tools that have also been certified. Just, it, it is technically redundant, but if somebody misses something, if something has gone out of calibration, then, then we'll catch it. Okay, so you've done, the, you took the travel, the set of documents that is uh, designed to specify the part you need to build, and then you went ahead and did the actual machining, the actual building of the part. Then uh, you, you check your own work with specific, uh, specific tools that has been uh, certified. Then somebody else checks the same parts with his tool that has been certified. Yeah. And what happens at the end? That's it? You have a made part? Well, then actually after that, uh, anything that's going to go on an airframe goes for uh, what's called non-destructive evaluation. And there's a, a number of different things. Uh, they do a, a liquid penetrant test usually to check for any cracking. Um, and occasionally they'll do uh, uh, x-rays uh, if there's very very complex parts where it's it's hard to see if there would be any micro fractures. Sometimes they'll do an x-ray and they can kind of zoom in on stuff. Uh, or... Occasionally they use ultrasound as well, which is yeah. uh, that's kind of a new thing to me. I, I don't have a lot of experience with that. Mm -hmm. So I think I got the main process uh, figured out. I do have um, a few follow-up questions. Um, if you could, um, I don't know if you can specify that. Feel free not to answer if you feel uncomfortable. But um, if you could specify exactly the types of clients that come by and the types of uh, people that make the orders, not the big companies, but if you could specify a little bit about the let's call it um, the small to medium uh, kind companies that come through your shop, I would be very happy. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, well, for this, I'll, I'll maybe go back to uh, other places that I've worked because we, we primarily do uh, parts for ourselves. So that uh, uh, that kind of limits the customer interaction. We, we do occasional third-party work, but it's, uh, it's kind of here and there. Um, but usually what will happen, it, there, there's uh, essentially two types of parts that show up at, at a machine shop from outside customers. You, there's either going to be uh, the manufacturer of a new part uh, that uh, will be created from 
raw stock of some kind, or there's going to be a repair part. Um, and, and they do, uh, travel slightly differently through the shop. Uh, if it's a new part, then what you're going to need is, is, uh, some kind of drafting, some kind of uh, print to work from. And so usually what, usually what'll happen is somebody will show up and say, I need this. And in the majority of cases, you don't need an engineer, uh, to actually sign off on anything. You, you, a machinist who, with some experience in whatever field they're working in, should be able to roughly design um, something a customer is going to need, or, or or they should have the resources to find a design for that. By hand um, or, or so computer? I, I, sorry, what was that? The, the design is, is made by hand? Like, Do you actually sketch it out, or do you use AutoCAD or some sort of modeling software? That's going to depend on, on the shop yeah. and, and on the complexity of the part as well. Uh, some stuff is would take you weeks to draw out um, and do all the math for. It's much simpler to do it in AutoCAD, um, and and like I say, uh, sometimes you're going to do it in AutoCAD. Right. Um, the, ideally, you're going to get a print from the customer, um, which eliminates some of the. Uh, I, I suppose you could say some of the responsibility on your part, some of the liability, um, because when you're creating the part as well as the print, um, then you don't have anything other than yourself to check against, which right. uh, can be good, can be bad, again, uh, depending on, on which engineer or draftsman designs the part if you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, uh, if you're doing a new part, the first thing you got to do is come up with a design uh, or, or have a design. And then more often than not, you're going to want to go through, or the customer is going to want to go through a quoting process. Um, and, and that's going to vary, again, with the complexity of the part. Sometimes it's as simple as uh, just estimating based on your past experience. So I, it usually takes me two hours to build that kind of part, so I'll quote you for two hours. If uh, it's a very complex part, sometimes it's, uh, and, and the customer is likely to be a repeat customer, then sometimes it's worth, uh, actually writing uh, the program for it. If you're going to uh, run it in a CNC machine, you'll actually write the program ahead of time before you've even come to an agreement with the customer and estimate than trying to quote from no other information. Okay, I think I get the process. Um, let's go a little bit to the business side of things. As you said, you've managed, you're, you're a machinist yourself, you, you're, you're part of the trade, and as you're also, um, you, you managed people in the past, correct? Yep. Okay. Um, I really want to talk about uh, the training part. So let's say a person comes on the job, and you said um, a lot of them come with previous experience or they went through some sort of training, and you, I imagine, have your own preferences for how people should work in your shop, correct? Uh, Well, yes and no. So it's important from a competition standpoint with other shops to make sure that you're uh, trying out new strategies uh, as you're going. And that can be one of the most helpful things that you get from uh, new employees with previous experience mm-hmm. is that you might find a way of doing something that shaves. Sometimes it can be hours off the job. Um, and, and that'll also come from uh, various manufacturers and, uh, and software designers. Right. Uh, so it, it's important to be training uh, or to be utilizing uh, other people's training. Right. Uh, previous training, but it's also you're right. It is important to have some sort of minimum standards in your shop. So usually, what'll happen is uh, you'll assign one of your senior guys that's on the floor full time to to sort of uh, babysit 
the the new employee for a day or two. So usually it's worth having someone that has a broad range of experience within your shop, uh, uh, sort of babysit them and and do the minimum of training. And then you reevaluate from there. Um, In a lot of CNC shops, it can be helpful uh, to utilize the manufacturer's training. Uh, So for instance, um, okay, when I first started as as an apprentice, I ran uh, primarily Haas machines. Um, and, and, uh, I ran them primarily with, uh, Gibbs cam, which is a separate software that's, that's specific to designing tool pads. Uh, and then, uh, in the next job I went to, uh, I was running primarily Mazak machines, which, uh, we, number one, it's, it's a different interface. It, it would be like doing your training on windows and then jumping into, uh, like Ubuntu Linux. It, it just not a lot of crossover. Right. Um, and, and so what was really helpful there was I actually got training one of the, they call them applications engineers, but they're, uh, they're software techs essentially, um, came down from the, uh, Mazak reseller and I spent a week with him on the machine learning, uh, the programming and the, uh, the setup of, the, of those particular machines. Right. Um, and then, and then after that, I got help from the more experienced guys in the shop. Right. So uh, th- those are kind of two avenues. Um, Gibbs Cam, again, also does uh, training. I've done some online training with them and uh, about a week-long course uh, with them. Um, and then there are basics that you learn in school. Um, and from a software guy, you'll understand uh, running macros uh, is sort of a basic uh, m- machine code is an extremely basic language. It's uh, it's just geometric moves, arcs, and lines. Right. Um, and then you know some you know th- there will be a, a code to turn the turn the spindle on, and then another one to turn the coolant on, kind of thing. But but for the most part, it's very simple codes, uh, except for repetitive operations, uh, st- stuff that you do all the time. So if you need to turn a shaft and then thread it. You can use uh, two different, um, they call them canned cycles, but, but they are essentially a pre-written macro where you're just going to go in and fill in the variables. Um, and, it, and it's going to, uh, uh, the, the machine will just interpret that as, as a parametric cycle, uh, throw the, the parameters into the code that it's already got written, and then away you go. It, it shortens the writing uh, of code substantially. So that's one of the things that they've been starting to teach in the trade school. Uh, quite a bit more. Right. Um, I just want to focus on something that I think it was obviously wasn't obvious to me, but I think it's it's something most people would be interested in hearing. You you keep on saying um, machine code and code and programming and things that are not usually associated with people who work with metal. That is not something that is obvious to somebody outside of the industry. But a lot of what you do is using automated machines. Yes. Um, and I, I really wanted to know, uh, besides the obvious, like, um, usual training and the things that um, you do on the job. Is there some place online or some place, some sort of community hangout or some some place that you go to learn new stuff about um, automated uh, machine programming? Uh, there's a few places. There's uh, the CNC subreddit right. um, uh, on Reddit. The CNC industry is still somewhat fragmented. It's reasonably new. Uh, maybe I, I'm going to say 60 years. In, in terms of uh, numeric control, 
Uh, computer numeric control is uh, significantly newer than that. Mm -hmm. So to a degree, the industry is still sorting itself out in terms of standardization. And, and we're seeing some moves towards that. We're seeing uh, that the on-machine conversational programming uh, interfaces are starting to standardize a little bit. Right. Um, two or three, essentially, they're, they're standardizing into uh, two or three different types. Um, but uh, could you repeat the question again? Sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought. No, there. It's okay. It's okay. I, I get um, excited about these. Things. It's okay. That's, that's why. That's why I have you on. Um, the main thing is, and I think that's uh, something a lot of people would want would want to know is you've been trained uh, on the job and in a trade school, and you've had your uh, official training. Um, when you want to learn more, when you want to share your um, your ideas, the things that you did, learn new things that just came out, learn new operations, where do you go to? Uh, yeah, so there are online forums. Uh, the the uh, CNC subreddit is an excellent place to start. From there, you're going to jump off into uh, various different places. Uh, Gibbscam has a series on YouTube called the uh, – or it's access – yeah, yeah, it's on YouTube, I'm pretty sure. Um, but it's for sure accessible from their website uh, called the Journeyman Series, right. um, which is is designed for people who already have a basic working knowledge of Gibbscam, but it it uh, they revise and update every couple of months, um, and so they'll touch on stuff like that. Uh, specific, um, usually we work with solid models in Gibbscam, right. um, and and. Not every process works ideally on just the solid model. Sometimes you need to add uh, two-dimensional planes uh, to, to work as floors so the tool knows not to go uh, past that in the path or uh, adding uh, just single-dimension geometry for uh, uh, bounding boxes, things like that that aren't – they won't necessarily touch on it in the training because the application – uh, is more specialized. You know, if, if you're right. uh, if you're doing fairly basic work on Gibbscam, you might never need it. But if you're doing mold work or some of the more complex stuff that we do in aviation, it's definitely stuff you need to know. So uh, there's places like that. Um, essentially, every uh, manufacturer, whether it be of software or of uh, machine tools, is going to have uh, a helpline or a support line or something like that. And those guys are really, really good. They're, um, that's the direct line to the applications engineers that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and their entire job is to know uh, what that machine can do, how to troubleshoot your way through. Right. Uh, you know, if, if it's doing something that you didn't expect it to do, uh, uh, that's their entire job. So that, that's a huge resource as well. Um, and then there are... Uh, columns in industry magazines uh modern machine shop has a uh a cnc column in it every month mm -hmm. okay um uh, i really want to touch it on the on the business side for the actual business side did you get to uh, yeah. do the marketing and advertising and customer relations when you were a shop manager did you actually get to talk to customers on, on talk to customers maybe the wrong phrasing um approach new customers i guess is the better phrasing of that did you get to do that yeah uh, you're out searching for new customers. It's the owner of the shop or uh, some of the slightly larger shops. Once you get up to maybe 25 or 30 machinists, mm -hmm. you'll see them actually hiring salesmen uh, yeah. to go out full time. 
Um, and, and often what that entails is, uh, is going out uh, to, uh, let's say you're building stuff for uh, the oil field. Right. You're going to go to that manufacturer, look around, say, hey, we could build that. Hey, we could repair that. Um, and and a, a lot of that is uh, cold calling, where you just show up with a business card and maybe maybe some flyers or some pamphlets if you've got those. Um, but machining uh, in a small shop setting is a lot of uh, either walk-ins where you get people that just show up, or uh, the companies that you'll be building parts for will uh, put out a request for uh, quote, right. and so you'll be competing against other shops mm-hmm. uh, with quotes. Um, and, and that's actually where a lot of business comes from is uh, competing for quotes um, if you're in a specialized industry. Uh, again, with the, with the generalized shops, it's a lot of walk-in business. Right. Okay. Okay. I think I get the, the, the big picture. Um, so I want to have two last questions, then we're going to wrap it up, okay? Okay. Okay. So first of all, if you had one pain point, something that um, bugs you while you work, if you had something that could be automated, if there's uh, anything at all that is just completely ridiculous that you have to do as part of your job and you wish you could just get rid of, what would it be? I think my biggest pet peeve is actually uh, shuffling the papers. I've At various places I've worked, there's been uh, various levels of uh, digitization of information. Right. Where you'll get uh, like like an electronic traveler or something like that, and that's really helpful. That uh, uh, keeps everything clean. Number one, I mean, we we keep the shops fairly clean, but there's still oil and dust and grease and 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 things that get on papers and smudge drawings. And then you gotta go print out another one, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's a bit annoying. And, uh, and the other thing is is customers who don't understand the process. I I would really like to see. Uh, shop classes back in school uh, with some some training so that kids can actually understand what's going to happen to their uh, to their drawings once they go in. Uh, a lot of people see CNC machines, especially as uh, giant printers. You know, you just kind of hold up the drawing here, make one of these, and then it just does it magically. Um, and and that's not the case at all. Um, so it, it would be helpful for the public to have a better understanding of that. I think. Um, and then broadly speaking from a business perspective, uh, machining is, uh, hurting for employees. It's hard to get, uh, it's hard to get anyone. Uh, there are some industries that are recruiting as early as junior high. So you actually see people uh, setting up classes for junior high students. And then once they're done with like the basic stuff, try and get them into programs when they're like 15 and 16 and 17. So when they're 18, they can just go in and work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, I can't remember the name of it, but it's, it's something like the American mold makers society or something like that. Right. I just put out a forecast that uh, said they were going to need 30,000 employees in, I believe the next decade. Just machinists? No, just mold makers. Oh, just mold makers. That's, oh, sure. that's, that's a, a part of machining. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's an amazing uh, job opportunity for so many young people. And people don't know yeah. about that. Nobody, nobody speaks about that. No, no. And it's, uh, I, it, it's a hugely profitable industry, uh, number one, if, if it's done right. 
Um, and, and it's also incredibly satisfying. I, I mean, you build stuff, I build stuff and then I watch these planes fly away and I'm going, yeah, that, that plane is up there in part because I made my, uh, I made the part that I was given properly. Right. Okay. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool. I just got to say, about, you know, three or four years it, while you're in school, you can finish it and, and go get a job. That's amazing. Yeah. One of the ideal things about working in the trades um, is that it, it, specifically uh, if you're going to take an apprenticeship is that you are actually making money the whole way through. As, as a first and second year apprentice, you don't get paid particularly well. It's not bad pay. It's certainly better than working at a supermarket. Um, but, you know, you're, you're paid a percentage of, of the base journeyman rate. But, yeah, once you're a journeyman, especially if you apply yourself, um, machining is like any other profession. You have some people that apply themselves, you know, some people that just uh, show up and do their eight hours and go home. Uh, but if you're willing to show up and apply yourself, you can go uh, and do some incredibly cool stuff. Uh, right. uh, there's guys working for SpaceX or Blue Origin that are building parts that are, you know, going up to the uh, space station uh, right. and being compensated accordingly. So that's, that's pretty, pretty rad. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So just one, I know I keep saying one last question, but this is actually the last question before we gather okay. up. Um, if you had uh, any advice for up and comers, people who, you know, just now in this interview, uh, starting to hear about uh, machining or have been interested for a while and didn't, they never did took the plunge to go into the profession. What would be your best advice for these up and comers? I'd, I'd say go start knocking on doors. Um, there, like I say, there are jobs for the taking. Um, it's, it's hard to get people. Um, and it's hard to get qualified people. So number one, make sure that you've got your, your basic math down as long as your uh, geometry, specifically your uh, trigonometry, as long as that, as long as you've got the basics of that down, you're set. Um, don't be don't be scared by the the uh, CNC code. G code is a very simple language. It's uh, it, it's a simpler language than Python actually, um, because it, it's just just moving uh, uh, axes, either rotary axes or linear linear axes, and and you're only uh, adjusting feed rates and stuff. So don't be scared by something like that, and uh, and don't be afraid uh, of the precision work. Uh, a lot of people think that it, it's going to be too precise. It's too hard to be that precise. But uh, it, what I tell people a lot of the times when they, when they say, I, I'm worried I can't be precise enough or, or that it's too much work to be that precise is, is uh, guys have been grinding lenses by hand for like 400 years and, and achieving amazing precision with that. And we've got, computers and lasers and and x-ray machines and all kinds of stuff and uh yeah it's it, it's a great trade it's a bunch of fun it's amazing uh the new technology that comes out so if, if you get into it and you apply yourself and you work hard you can be at the cutting edge of the industry um learning new things all the time uh, trying new processes and and maybe even breaking some ground yourself there's a lot of stuff that that comes off the shop floor that completely uh, revolutionizes a particular process right can you give an example um let me think here 
Well, I, number one, a lot of the uh, the machines were originally built by uh, tradesmen working on the floor. You know, a guy has to do this process and it takes him forever. And he goes, hey, maybe I should do it this way instead. Um, it, there's a lot of, uh, of places that build tools that those tools originally uh, like cutting tools specifically building those cutting tools for them uh, was uh, came out of a need they needed a specific type of cutting tool uh, so they built it themselves and there's a lot of bootstrapping like that a lot of uh, well hey I bet you if we do it this way uh, we can do this I, I, a couple of weeks ago I was uh, talking to one of the techs from Gibbscam I had a, a problem with it that I couldn't sort out and uh, he looked at it for a couple of weeks and he said, you know, I, I'm not sure I can sort this out either. And then a week later, I had just, uh, you know, some neurons crossed in my brain. And I said, oh, hey, I bet you this will work. And and the technique that I came up with is uh, he's going to use it. He's going to show other people uh, how to make it work. So awesome. and, and it's not a perfect fix, but it's it's a start. Right. So there's there's always places to innovate. There's always places to be creative. So. Um, okay, Duncan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I really yeah. appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, is there some way people can reach you if they have extra questions? Um, well, my email is uh, duncanrmorrison at gmail.com. And uh, I'm also on Instagram at duncanrmorrison. Um, and I post pictures of some of the stuff that I do and, and some of the tools that I build, some of the tools that I build for myself. Uh, so. Have a look at that. Okay, so Duncan, I'm going to put that in the show notes. Everybody can look um, look at the show notes and see that. Thank yeah. you very, very, very much. You bet. Uh, and have a great day. You too. That's it for today's show. I'd like to thank Smiling Cynic from the OP Sound Project for the intro and outro music. I invite you to join me on our subreddit, r slash real industry real talk, for the show notes and additional information. Again, that's reddit.com slash r slash real industry real talk. See you on the next show.